prayer. Lord God, thank you so much again for how great you are, Lord. As we worship you tonight, God, we come before you to seek your name, to seek you, God, to hear from you. And I ask, Lord, that you would bless us this time with your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, just that it has been said that you would anoint this time, God, that you would move upon our hearts. And tonight, God, that we would have a fresh start on Wednesday night here for this year, 2020, and that we would move forward in you as we begin a new study here in the book of Philippians. So bless this time, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> the first introductions that the lieutenant experienced did not go well. At a banquet for officers and their wives, the commanding general was giving what seemed like a very long and endless speech. <clears throat> Excuse me. A young lieutenant turned to a woman he never met next to him and said these first words to her. What a prideful old windbag. Isn't he ever going to stop putting us to sleep? Well, the woman's face turned red and visibly upset. She said, excuse me, lieutenant. Do you have any idea who I am? Uh, no, ma'am, said the officer. I am the wife of the man you just called an old prideful old windbag. Oh, said the lieutenant. And do you have any idea who I am? No, said the general's wife. Good, said the lieutenant, and he got up and ran away. <laughs> well, that didn't go too well, did it? Sometimes you do learn who someone is during those first introductions. Well, tonight we begin a new study now through the book of Philippians. And in this very first part we're going to take a look at tonight, we find out some things about who the author is of this book. And this is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul opens really here with the first introductions. And that's the title of our message tonight. The first introductions. We're going to be studying just two verses tonight. Philippians chapter 1 from verse 1 through 2. Just two verses here. First introductions. And our outline is this. This is what we're going to see. Number one, the servants of Jesus. Number two, the saints in Christ. And number three, the signature greeting. So let's begin. Number one in our outline, the servants of Jesus. The servants of Jesus. Philippians chapter one, we're going to just take the first part of verse one. Take a look here with me. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of, Je of Christ Jesus. And we're going to stop right there. Now, we begin with two names, Paul and Timothy, that are mentioned here. And this tells us the Apostle Paul is the author of this book. And Timothy, Paul's assistant, is right there by his side when Paul writes this book. That's what it's describing as we begin here. We know this because this is actually an ancient letter. Philippians, this book in our Bible, is actually an ancient letter called an epistle. An epistle. And in the ancient style of writing, who this letter is from is put first, and that's Paul. Then who this letter is for is put second. So in verse 1, the second part, you can see this is from Paul written to the saints in Philippi. And we're going to cover that in our next section. But what about Timothy here? Did he help write it too? No, because throughout this letter, we're going to see Paul writes in the first person. So it's really Paul who's writing this to the Philippians here. So that means Timothy, though, his name's mentioned, must have been there in love and support 
to Paul. So understand this. See, Paul writes this letter being incarcerated. He is under house arrest and Timothy has come for support and help. He's there for Paul. He's there with Paul at this moment. At the end of Acts, we find a story and because of preaching Jesus, right? Uh, Paul was falsely accused by the Jewish leaders. He was taken into custody by Rome. He was taken to Rome. And now Paul awaits this hearing with Caesar Nero. That's kind of the, the summary fast story of what happened, why Paul is here. Well, Timothy's visiting. Timothy is there with Paul, helping and supporting him. And also understand, it was from here, Paul wrote what is called the prison epistles, or the prison letters, which include Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and this book we're studying here tonight, Philippians. That's why in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, it says the epistle to the Philippians. It's this letter written to the Philippians, which was written about 61 AD. So right away we see Paul is the author and with him he introduces Timothy to the Philippian church. That's the idea here. Later, Paul tells them that he will be sending Timothy over to Philippi. If you take a peek over at Philippians chapter 2, verse 19, uh, chapter 2, 19, Paul writes here, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. So at the beginning of this letter, as Paul states he's the author, he also mentions Timothy, who's right there by his side, and that Timothy... He introduces him right away that, hey, he, he's going to be coming soon, and man, Paul will mention that later. All right, so back to chapter 1, verse 1. With this intro, Paul puts next that they are, look what we read here in the part, first part of verse 1, they are both servants of Christ Jesus. Paul and Timothy serve their master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is interesting, because in other letters, other epistles that you may have read already and studied, Uh, Paul will introduce himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, here, there's no need. He just says, we're servants. Why? Because the Philippians already honor Paul in his God-given role and have submitted to his authority and to his message. So they receive him already. But So Paul comes in here saying, hey, you know, we're just servants of God. We're, we're, we're just servants of the master. What we do, what we say, everything you're going to hear is because we are doing it because God asks us to do that. And what's interesting here is Paul uses the Greek word doulas, D-O-U-L-A-S, for the word servant in the Greek. That's the Greek word doulas, which means, literally it means slave. But listen to what the NASB translates this. It translates this word as bond servant. Now, understand back then when Paul was writing this letter, in the ancient society, in the Roman society, one-third now of the population were slaves. They were servants back then. So it 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 was pretty common for the wealthy to have servants and slaves under them. Many were the typical slaves that were forced you know, into labor and, and to their master. They're under their master. Some, there's another group who were called freedmen, where they might have worked to buy their freedom. But actually, it, some of these freedmen still belong to their master. And they're more like kind of paid servants. They had some freedoms, but they were kind of like hired and paid in that way. But then there was another group of servants or slaves back then, and they developed a close 
bond with their master. They develop this relationship. And for not all the uh, owners were bad. So these ended up actually willingly devoting their whole life to serve their master. And this is really the idea uh, with the bond servant. So when Paul uses the word doulos, it's much more deeper than just a slave, but he's, going, he's really talking about being a bond servant. So Paul states that him and Timothy are bond servants to Jesus, willingly and totally devoted to their master, their Lord, Jesus Christ. They are this kind of servants of Jesus. And that's our heading, the servants of Jesus. It seems like Paul probably was thinking about how in the Old Testament, this is back in Exodus 21, verse 5 and 6, a slave could actually come to his owner and say, you know what, I, I, I love you, I, I, you know, I, I want to be with you, I, I like this family, everything, I want to you know, devote my whole life to serve you. Then the master would bring him before the Lord and officials, and he would take an all. And then he, he, he would put him against like the, the door jam and, and, or the door. And he'd take that all and then take a hammer and pierce his ear. And that was a symbol of his loyalty, commitment, and devotion to his master. That this was a lifelong uh, surrender in that way. Well, this is what I, I think Paul was thinking about in the Old Testament thinking as he was a, a, a Jewish person himself, right? So this is Paul and Timothy. They willingly devoted their lives to Jesus. They were bond servants to Jesus, the servants of Jesus. So I love how he starts out and puts this forth. So we see, and this is, this is what I want you to uh, really see here tonight in this first part of verse 1. Paul introduces themselves as men who are totally, completely devoted to serving the Lord. And that's our point here. Paul introduces themselves as men who are totally, completely devoted to serving the Lord. So right away, this stands out to us as Paul describes this, as Paul introduces himself here, his total devotion to God. As he comes into this letter and everything that he writes is, is all because he's devoted to the Lord and he's just doing what his master, the Lord, asks him to write. I like something uh, what Nathan C. Schaefer said. He wrote, at the close of life, the question will not be how much have you got, but how much have you given? Not how much have you won, but how much have you done? Not how much have you saved, but how much have you sacrificed? Not how much were you honored, but how much have you served? I love that. That's the question. As we come before the Lord, how about you tonight? Are you a servant of Jesus? Is your life dedicated to him, devoted to him, willingly, totally, like Paul is saying here, a bond servant. You may say, yes, I'm a servant of God. Yes, I'm, I'm, I serve the Lord. But remember the different types of uh, categories of slaves that were back in that society? I was thinking about this because sometimes our attitude is maybe like the freed slaves in Rome. Yeah, we've been freed from Jesus, but we only serve to get paid to get something out of it. When we serve, well, I'll serve if I get something back for me. That was like those freedmen or they were, they were called in Rome. Or maybe you're, you, you say, I'm a servant of Jesus, but you feel like you're still under some forced labor. 
You're more legalistic about serving God. You, you actually serve to try and gain favor from God and you don't understand you're already accepted by Jesus. That He died on a cross for you and, and He loves you. You're His child now. But we think that if we do something, if we serve Him, then, well, well then God will like me. And God will do something for me and bless me. And so you, it's like this legalistic thing. But when you serve, it's more of a burden. So many times, you rather not serve. Or are you like a bondservant? Were you willingly, fully, and totally, devotedly serving God? And you know why? Because you love Jesus. Because you love God. Because you love the Lord. And you want to serve God. And that, that, that's what you want to do. That's the, what these bond servants are. And that's the type of servant that Paul was. And you know what? That's the type of servant God is looking for. Where are you tonight in serving God? We can all say, yeah, yeah, I serve God. Yeah, I help out in church here. I do this for Him. I give here and all that. But is it this bond servant, doulas type, of being that kind of servant. Think about it this way. Is it about you? What you want? You serve when when you want? Or is it more about what your master desires? Is it about his glory or yours? Howard Hendricks uh, told of how long, long, long ago a break in the electrical circuit, and, and I almost kind of tend to think this is more like the audio uh, line, but the story went, a break in the electrical circuit occurred just as King George was about to deliver his radio address at the London Disarmament Conference. A humble workman caught the loose ends in his hands and bridged the gap, becoming for a time a part of the circuit so that he would be able to speak and everyone could hear him. Hendricks goes on to say this. He didn't create the power by which the king's message was transmitted. He only closed the circuit so that it could flow. But through him, the king's will was done. And you know what? I like that. I like that picture right there. Hendricks went on to say, God is not looking for more stars. He's looking for more servants. I love that. That's what it's about, being a bondservant. It's about our master, our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we do it from our heart, out of love. We are dedicated, totally devoting our whole life forever to Him. All right, well, in these first introductions, we see the servants of Jesus. As we go on, we, we go on to number two in our outline, the saints in Christ. The saints in Christ. Philippians chapter one, look at the second part of verse one now. It says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. We'll stop there. Now, we've seen who the letter's from, right? Paul, the author, Timothy, right there by their side. He introduced himself as servants and doulos, bond servants. And next we go on to see who the recipients are. Paul writes, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. And what's that talking about? The believers, right? He's talking about believers here. And these believers are who live in the city of Philippi. Philippi was located in a Roman province called Macedonia. You might have heard that. Remember in Book of Acts, a man from Macedonia? Well, that is northern Greece. It's in that area. 
And so basically, this letter was to be read to the believers in the Philippian church, the church in the city of Philippi. And it's the Philippian church, not the Filipino church, just to clarify here. Well, that's why Paul adds in this letter, in this two, it is also written to the overseers of the church. That's the pastors, the elders, the leaders in their church. And he mentions the deacons, which is like the lay leaders and some of the workers there of the church. All right, so we see here in the second part of verse 1, Paul specifically targets the believers. This is who he's writing to, the believers in the church. This letter's for the saints in Christ. That's our heading, the saints in Christ. Now, understand this word saint, right? It, it, it's the Greek word, Hagios, and it means to be set apart. Sometimes that word is actually translated as holy. And to us, sometimes when we hear that word saint or, or someone calls you a saint, wait, our mind kind of goes, oh, no, no, I, I, I'm not a saint. But Paul here, really, you can see, right, he is referring to believers in the church. And they have been set apart from the world by Christ, just like we are in Christ. They have been forgiven, made righteous through the blood of Christ, and that's us too. So you can, in a sense, say that we are saints also, not on our own, but saints in Christ. So now you could go around to each other and say, Hi, St. Kristen, or Hi, St. Randy. <laughs> Sounds weird, right? <laughs> Well, but that's the reality. That's what Paul is saying. Hey, you guys have been set apart for Christ. I'm writing to you believers who have been set apart, who are saints in Christ. We don't have our own righteousness, but that which is from Jesus, right? That's why, I understand what that means. That means that's why if a believer, say, unfortunately, would get into some accident and die, that believer would go to heaven immediately. Not because they're perfect, but because they are covered in Christ's blood in that his, his righteousness is upon him. So they are saints in Christ in that way. Think about this for a moment. This makes a Christian so different from other religions in the world. That's why Christianity is so set apart, and that's why it's the truth and there's nothing else. I mean, think about it. A Buddhist does not speak of himself as being in Buddha, right? Or a Muslim doesn't speak of himself as being in Muhammad, or a Mormon doesn't speak of himself as being in Joseph Smith. Only a Christian who has found Jesus in them, they and, Jesus, and, they and Jesus and Jesus in them, can truly say, hey, I'm in Christ. I like what Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I love that. Christ is in us, and we're in Christ. Sadly, though, there is a wrong conception of what a saint really is. You know, in the uh, 10th century, like the 900s um, AD, Pope John XV developed an official way of how a person could become a saint. Did you know that? And this is um, what they call the canonization procedure. So here's the steps. If according to Pope John in the Catholic Church, if you want to be a saint, this is the steps to sainthood. 
First step, you must be dead for five years. That's right. You got to be dead for five years. Then the local bishop instigates investigation into the life of the candidate for sainthood. And then the findings, if, if they look like, oh, this, this would be a good person, you know, they did a lot in their life, that, that, you know, there was, this is a good candidate to be a saint. The findings are sent to the Vatican, right? Catholic headquarters in Rome. Step two, then they must be approved by the panel of cardinals and leading theologians. So if you want to be a saint, you've got to be dead for five years. Then someone has to recommend you. And then the Vatican and the cardinals over there and the leading uh, theologians got to look at all about, you know, the information about your life. And if you pass, then the Pope proclaims a candidate as venerable. You become this, the status of being venerable, which means you're a person of virtue and example to us all in that way. Step three now, you've got to be dead for five years, and you've got to be recommended and approved by the uh, Vatican there. Uh, number three, step three is you must perform a miracle. Yes, that is after you've been dead for a while. You must perform a miracle. If the miracle is officially recognized, then you have made it to the next step, with this step, which is beautification. Then the final step, number four, is this. You must perform a second miracle. And then, again, that's after you're dead. You must be found being the responsible one uh, uh, that have been found to be you're the one who did that miracle. And then once you're officially recognized, then the candidate will officially be named a saint. Interesting, right? That's how you become a, a saint. Now, this can take some time, like decades to centuries. In 2009, Pope Benedict XVI canonized Father Damien and made him a saint. Do you remember that? Being on the news back then in 2009, I remember watching that. We know how famous he was, right? As in 1873, Father Damien voluntarily went to the leprechaun calling it in Kalapapa on Molokai. We know the story. That I mean, it's just amazing his sacrifice, what he did. It really showed his, his heart and belief in God, right? After ministering there for 11 years, he actually contracted leprosy himself and died five years later at the age of 49 in 1889. Well, fast forward to 1977, Pope Paul VI declared Father Damien as venerable. He made it to that um, uh, step two where uh, someone had recommended him there. In 1992, Pope John Paul II approved a miracle where a nun was cured of an intestinal illness overnight when she had prayed to Father Damien. And then the second miracle, this, this last step, uh, was when the cancer of a Hawaii woman uh, went into remission after she prayed. She went to Molokai and prayed at the grave of Father Damien in 1997. Then in 2009, he was made a saint. So that, that's just an example of that kind of thinking. But you know what? I'm glad we don't have to go through that process. I'm glad that what we find in the Bible, that we are all saints. We're all set, set apart in Christ already. All right, so what we find here is this. Paul writes to the entire community of believers in the church at Philippi. This is who this letter is to. He, it's not just a select group of people here. Yeah? It's not just those who have reached that sainthood, you know. They walk around with a little halo above their heads, you know, and, and you hear harp music wherever they go and little cloud there. No, 
Paul writes to the entire community of believers in the church at Philippi. Know this. When we read the word saint here, that's what he's saying. That, that's who he's writing to. That's who is included to be reading, to be receiving the words, to be applying the words in this letter here. And you know what that means? As believers, this book is also for you and me. Everything in this book is for you and me. It's not just for some special people, right? It's for all believers here. You know, one time I was having, um, sometimes I joke and I call it like, you know, iPhone fellowship or sometimes I have guitar fellowship with other guitars. But I, I was having this iPhone fellowship with someone and that means we were talking about the latest and great, greatest of, you know, Apple products and cell phones and and someone who was there before we got into our discussion kind of left saying, well, this is way above my head, right? Because terms like, well, A12 processor and 256 gigabytes and super retina LED screen or 12MP camera and 4G LTE was just too much. You know? And they said, I guess this is not for me. And they walked away. Well, I was thinking about, I was thinking about that because sometimes that's what believers say about the word. Sometimes they say, well, it's too complicated. I don't get it. Or, well, you know, going Wednesday night, that's for the extra credit Christians. Or, 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 or you know, being, serving God. Well, that's for the holy ones, the saints of the church. And then we can check out from what God wants to do in our lives. If you are in Jesus, if you are a believer, then you are a saint already. And so Paul writes to the community, the whole community of believers here in Philippi. He's writing to us also. It includes all of us. And I'll tell you, God is speaking to you and me tonight through His Word. It's not just for a select few. This Word that goes out, it's not just for those who are special or who have attained a certain level. No, it comes down to every believer who opens this book and reads that. You cannot make excuses for your sin and say, well, that's not for me. You cannot give in to your flesh and think, well, I don't know, I haven't attained or whatever. Remember, we're set apart because of Christ, not because of what you do. We're saints, we're made righteous because of what Christ has done, not what you have done or not do. So, you know what that means? That means we must listen and apply what we are studying here. We must listen and apply of it with, you know, of, apply the things that we're going to learn in this whole book. There's four chapters in the book of Philippians. It's for us. Paul wrote it to all the Philippians there in that church, all the believers, and you know what? It comes down the centuries to us today as a church. And, he's, and God is speaking to us through this book too. Who's behind this anyway, right? Who's behind this, this writing of this letter? God, right? The Holy Spirit moved Paul, right? In his heart to write these things. And now it is in our Bibles. This is God's word that we have. So the challenge is, will you listen? Will you apply it? Will you let the Word change your life and transform you? Or are you going to walk away from what God is saying tonight? Let me say it this way. Will you commit to come on Wednesday night to study this book all the way through as much as you can? 
That's what I'm challenging you guys with. And that's what, what I feel like the, the Lord is saying. Hey, we've we got to make a decision tonight. Are we going to take these words? We're studying. And we're, 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 we're going slow. We're only doing two verses. We're going to get into this book. We're going to get into the, what, what's going on here in the background and, and what Paul is trying to say and then what God is trying to say to us. But will we make the decision and the commitment to study this book as Paul writes to all of us as God speaks to all of us. Well, let's go on here to number three now. The signature greeting. We've seen in these first introductions, the servants of Jesus. That's who wrote this. Uh, where it comes from, I should say. And then it goes to the saints in Christ. And now, number three in outline, the signature greeting. Philippians chapter 1, verse 2. Paul writes, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, here Paul puts in his greeting now. And this is actually the style of ancient letters. If you read some of his other epistles, that, that, that's what happens next. After who the author is, who it's from, who it's written to, little descriptions and introductions here. Then the next thing in the ancient style of epistles comes this greeting, this wish, this blessing, so to speak. And this is, the, this is what Paul wanted for the Philippians, that God the Father and the Lord Jesus would give them, first of all, grace. And what's grace? Undeserved favor, that's right. Undeserved favor. We learned that before. We learned, right, mercy is not getting what you deserve, but grace is getting what you don't deserve. Remember, I've said that many times. Mercy is not getting judgment, I would say, right away and dying in our sins. Yeah, we're, we're, we're allowed another chance to live. Grace is God reaching out with His love and bringing Jesus into, lives, into our lives with forgiveness that we don't deserve. Paul's first wish is God's grace upon them. And just stop and think about that for a moment. Isn't that a wonderful thing to be blessed with? Isn't that a wonderful thing to have from the Lord? Isn't it a wonderful thing that we, we don't deserve nothing, right? But yet God gives us that favor, that God gives us that love, that God gives us His attention and care and protection and provision. That, that's grace. Didn't all of, all of this, our life with God, start with grace anyway, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace, right? It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so no one will boast. It, it's nothing of us, right? We didn't deserve it. We couldn't even, even gain any favor, but God gave it, and that was grace. And that's how we were saved, through faith. Grace. It all started there. And then, as we live our life for God, are we perfect? No. After we have Jesus in our life and we start walking with Him, I mean, we still fall, we still stumble, we still sin. But what's there to catch us? Grace, you guys. Grace. Grace is what overrides what we should, what we really need to deserve. It overrides our sin. I mean, listen to Romans 5.20. It says, Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Right? It was more grace to cover our sin and take care of us. And grace is what sustains us every day. Did you know that? 
Sometimes we think, well, yeah, grace is, yeah, God's grace is how we were saved. Or, yeah, oh, thank you, God, for your grace. You know, we're sin abound, grace abounded more. And thank you, God. But did you know it's grace what sustains us every day? It's grace that, that gives us breath every day. It's, it's grace that God allows us to, to live for Him, the opportunity to live for Him. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul wrote, or, or the Lord said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. It's that daily grace that Paul talked about in, the, in Corinthians. So you see, grace is very important to have. So no wonder Paul's first wish for them is grace. And then secondly, we see here in verse 2, Paul attaches with grace peace. Now the peace is not just peace with God, right? Peace with God is that Jesus had made that between uh, sinners and God by His death on the cross. Now we have peace with God. We're no longer enemies of God or at enmity with God. But also we have the peace of God. We have the peace with God, but we also have the peace of God. That inner peace God gives us, giving us confidence, giving us contentment that He's there. And whatever the circumstances, it settles us. It helps us. It, 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 we're not as stressed or, or full of worry, but we have peace. There's not turmoil going on. Think about this now. When Paul, he wishes, he, he gives them this blessing of peace. You know what was going on back then in the ancient world with Christians? Persecution was starting. It was starting to get worse and worse. They were being targeted. I mean, Paul's, think about how, how the... Paul was actually the founder of this church. He planted this church. And we'll probably touch on it as we study, but you know, he, he went to Philippi and Lydia and all that. And all that happened. The, the jailer, right? Philippian jailer, the earthquake, Paul and Silas are like, oh, all that happened. I mean, Paul was the founder of this church. And here's the founder of this church. He was now in custody. Think about how, what the Philippians are feeling. Whoa. Look what's going on in the world. We're being targeted. Even Paul, our founder, our leader, he's in, he's in jail. He's in custody. What's going to happen to us? And we're going to find out in our study that there was some division going on between certain individuals in the church and others allowing some pride to creep in and some were sliding a little bit in their walk with the Lord. And Oh, it wasn't perfect. Things were happening. So I think Paul, secondly, wishes God's peace upon them. And so with both grace and peace, Paul actually gives the signature greeting. This is his signature greeting. In 13 other epistles that Paul wrote in our New Testament, this is how he gave the greeting in the beginning of his letters. This is his, the signature greeting, thus our heading. But I like that, right? I think it's important. I think in all these things, we, 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 we need that, right? We need the grace. We need the peace. I like how uh, B. Barton, in his commentary, ties both of these together, grace and peace. He wrote this, The world offers a temporary and counterfeit version of grace and peace. Grace might be considered luck. Peace might be seen as the absence of conflict. But for believers in Philippi and today, God's blessings are not the result of luck, but because of God's grace. 
Peace is not a fragile calm, but an inner security. I love that thought. It's God. No matter what's going on around you, we can have peace. No matter if we, maybe we've, we've stumbled and fell or failed and we're not perfect, but we have God's grace to help us every day. Well, all of this brings us to our, our last point, and this is it. Paul greeted the Philippians with the assurance of God's grace and peace. And that's, that's the way I like to look at this. In this letter, in this blessing, in this wish, in this ancient style, in this, in this section of this letter, Paul greeted the Philippians with the assurance of God's grace and peace. Mrs. Geraldi's kindergarten class put together this cookbook. And, and here's some of the recipes. It was a Thanksgiving cookbook. And there's a whole bunch of things I was reading here. But little Jeremy wrote this. You buy the turkey and take the paper off. Then you put it in the refrigerator and take it back out and cut it with a knife and make sure all the wires are out and take out the neck and heart. Then you put it in a big pan and cook it for half an hour at 80 degrees. Then you invite people over and eat. Russell's recipe for turkey was faster. You cut the turkey up and put it in the oven for 10 minutes at 300 degrees. You put gravy on it and eat it. Christopher submitted this for the pumpkin pie. First you buy a pumpkin and smash it. Then it's all done and you cook it in the oven for 12 minutes and and four degrees, then you eat it. The funny thing was at the beginning of the recipe book, there was this note that says, Mrs. Garalti will not be responsible for medical bills resulting from use of this cookbook. <laughs> Sometimes things don't turn out like you hope. <laughs> so, yeah. Sometimes they don't really come back together. But here's the thing, even in hard times, even in disappointments, even, even things that, that may be wrong instructions or whatever, God is still there to give us grace and peace. And thank God for the grace we don't deserve because of our mistakes. Thank God for His peace to help us to get through the trials. You know, maybe this is what we should be wishing each other. We should put this in our emails and cards. Let us pray that God's grace would abound. That God's peace would cover the hearts and minds of each other. But then I was thinking this. I think we should also live what we wish on others. I mean, this is what God does, right? Shouldn't we give grace and give peace like we ask God for? Shouldn't we live giving grace? I mean, sometimes I, give, I hand out judgment and criticalness than grace. Yeah. Sometimes rather than peace, I give out strife to others around me. But let's not be like that. Let's give grace. Let's give peace. And let's pray for that to one another. And let me say this as we come to a close. Grace and peace, you know what? That leads to joy. Which is actually what's going to fill Paul's prayers. And that's going to be next time, next week, when we go on here in this chapter. And by the way, the theme for the book of Philippians here, this is our theme, and it's pretty simple. Joy in Jesus. That's what we're going to find. Joy in Jesus. Philippians 4.4, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And I'm really looking forward to this because Paul 
he's in prison. He, you know, he doesn't have his freedoms. There's things going on, yet he finds joy in Jesus. And, we're, and that's our theme in a book, and that's what we're going to find out. And you know what? Having joy, even through the hard times, because of God's grace and peace, that's what believers look like. I'll close with a comment made by the German philosopher Frederick Nietzsche. After he was introduced to Christians of his day, back when he lived, he despisingly wrote this. This is that. He said, I would believe in their salvation if they looked a little more like people who have been saved. How's that? Well, from the beginning of this letter, we get an idea of what kind of person Paul is. He's a servant of Jesus. He cares for the Philippian saints. He's writing to them. He only wishes the best for them, the best of God's grace and peace. And so we see in Paul, we see in him a true man of God, a true believer. All in these, the first introductions. Let's pray. Lord, As we read the introductions here of Paul and this first part of Philippians, as we dove deep into, God, what it, what it means and understanding the ancient culture, Lord, what comes out is your word speaking to us. God, you're calling us to be those bondservants, Lord. You're calling us, God, to be involved as believers in the church and to know that you want to work in our lives and speak to us through this book. And even tonight, your word speaks to us, Lord. And God, we need that grace in our, our, our life today. God, we need tonight, Lord, you to give us grace, Lord, and look upon us, Lord, in our shortcomings and failures. And God, today wasn't a perfect day, and this week started off not perfect, but thank you for your grace that we're here. We're alive, we're breathing. We have another opportunity, God, even tonight, to seek you, to love you, and turn to you. And Lord, I ask for your peace, Lord. I ask that you give us peace, God, not just with, with our relationship with you, and we thank you for forgiveness as we confess our sins. We thank you for cleansing and being made right with you and a righteousness, Lord. But we need the peace of God, Lord, too. We need you, God. We need that, that peace that passes understand, all understanding because, Lord, some of us here tonight are going through a, a lot of turmoil, a lot of trial and troubles and, and the new year already is it, we're facing a lot. But God, we know with your peace, you assure us that we're, we'll be okay. Lord, that, that, that no matter what the path may look like, how rough or how high the mountain may look, God, your peace gives us security that you are here and by your grace you will strengthen us in our weakness. So I ask for your peace to flood our hearts right now by your Spirit, God. And I ask that you would fill us with the joy, God, that, that is like a, a drop of dew from heaven that will fill us, Lord, that will just wash away any discouragement, that will heal the hurt, Lord, that would lift our, our hanging head, Lord, and that would put our eyes upon you, Jesus, and that we would find strength Joy and strength, strengthen your joy, God, and we would see you clearly, Lord. So, God, as we worship you right now, and then as we move into a time of prayer, move upon us by your Holy Spirit.
In Jesus' name, amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.